Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. We read from Mark's Gospel, chapter 13, beginning at verse 32. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Watch. Be alert and pray, because you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going away on a journey. When he left his home, he put his servants in charge and assigned what each one was to do. He also commanded the doorkeeper to keep watch. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or early in the morning. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, keep watch. This is the Gospel of our Lord, we pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Your fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, who is surely coming soon. The Bible contains many descriptions and predictions about Judgment Day, about the last day. And many times people, even Christians, find these descriptions to be somewhat troubling. And one of the most troubling facts about Judgment Day is found in the words of God before us here in Mark chapter 13. Jesus says, no one knows about that day. Not the angels, not the Son, only the Father. That's kind of troubling, isn't it? How could the Son of God not know the day that He will return to end this world. Is he not really equal with God the Father? Is he not really God? Maybe more pertinent for us, how is that comforting to know that Jesus doesn't even know the day on which he is returning? How is that supposed to grant us confidence as we look forward into the future? I thought Jesus was supposed to come to give us comfort and confidence, not fear and uncertainty. How are we to handle this great known unknown that we call Judgment Day? I'm sure you've felt it before. We all have. Maybe you didn't know the the exact technical term for it. But when something new was looming before you, maybe when you were a child and and it was your first day at school as a kindergartner, or or you're starting uh, classes at a new college, or you're starting a new job, or you're about to get married. Uh, those new things in front of us, they put a certain fear in our gut, right? And that fear is technically called xenophobia. I know that our culture today describes that as fear of other people or people of other cultures, but the, the Greek is really fear of the unknown. That's what xenophobia is. And we've all felt that, haven't we? We fear what we don't know about. We may have those questions every day of our lives, right? There's one five-word phrase that that is almost guaranteed to send anyone of any age's heart racing. The phrase is, the test results are in. Now, if you're a child, that will send your heart racing because you probably took a test in school. When you get a little bit older, it may send your heart racing because it could indicate whether you are sick or not, what kind of disease you may or may not have. We fear the unknown. It makes us scared. And we don't like that. We don't like to be scared. We don't like to have unknown things before us. It's offensive to us to think that something like the future should be out of our reach. 
that we should be limited to living only in this present moment, and we can't see a split second ahead of this present moment that we are living in right now. It's offensive to our human reason. We think we're so smart, right? We, we can send rockets into space. We can develop vaccines for viruses. We have on our smartphones, we have calendars that tell us where we're supposed to be every minute of every day into next week and in, even into next year. And yet the Lord says, the future is not for you to know. In fact, James issues a stern warning against anyone who would be arrogant enough that they do know what the future holds. This is what James wrote. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will get into, go into this or that city, spend a year there, do business, and make a profit. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? Indeed, it is a mist that appears for a little while and then disappears. We do not and we cannot know what the future holds. What we do know, according to Scripture, is that our life will be short on this earth, maybe 70 or 80 years, and then we will die. Those are the known knowns. A short life and then death. And so the, the, the question, the universal question that mankind has always asked since the fall into sin is, how much time do I have left? Especially when you're sick. Especially when you're severely sick. You wonder, am I going to live or die? And the doctor might be able to ease some of your concerns, may be able to say, well, this is the disease you have, and this is the, the prognosis for people dealing with this disease, and, and here's the treatment regimen we're going to take to de- try to deal with this disease. They may be able to give you medications and treatments that can maybe delay death, but no one, not, not a doctor, not a pastor, no one can tell you, precisely when you're going to die. They may may be able to treat your diseases to delay death, but they don't know if you're going to get hit by a car and die in a car accident today. And they certainly don't know if Jesus might return tomorrow. Those are unknown, or known unknowns. We don't know. We know we will die. We just don't know when or where or how. How does Jesus help us deal with that? With that xenophobia, that fear of the unknown, that fear of death. Well, today it seems like he comes to us and he throws his own hands up in the air and he says, you don't know when you're going to die, you don't know when I'm going to return, and I don't either. Doesn't it sound like that? That Jesus is admitting here he doesn't know? How is that comforting for us? To know that Jesus didn't know during his time on earth when he was going to return. Before we get there, we have to take a theological step back. See, Jesus spoke these words during his humiliation on earth. When he gave up the the full, useful, and constant use of his divine knowledge. He was honest here. He wasn't lying to his disciples. He really didn't know when the end would come. He humbled himself. He humiliated himself for our sakes. So that he could be born of a, a woman. So that he could be born under the law and keep God's law on our behalf as our substitute. He humbled himself so that he could die on a cross to pay for our sins. So these are the things that we know about Jesus. He did all of those things for our salvation. He paid for our sins with his blood. He rose again from the dead. These are the things that we know about Jesus. These are the known knowns. Jesus, during his time on earth, 
knew what it was like to deal with xenophobia, with the fear of the future. And, and to understand that as proof, you have to go no further than the Garden of Gethsemane. See Jesus on his knees, praying to his heavenly Father, sweating drops of blood because of the, the fear of the unknown that stood before him. He knew he was going to suffer for the sins of the world, but he didn't know from experience what suffering in hell would be like. What having his heavenly Father turn his back on him and abandon him would, would be like. Jesus knows what it's like to be in our shoes, to be afraid of the unknown. To, to have the unknown future before us and, and to be scared of it. But how is that even comforting? How is it comforting to know that Jesus knows what it's like to not know? Well, Jesus may not have known the precise day on which he was returning during his time of humiliation, but he did know who knew. He says the Father knows. And he also knew what his Father's mission for him was, especially when it came to the message he was to preach. He talks about it in John chapter 12, where he says, I have not spoken on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command regarding what I am to say and what I am to speak. And I know that his command is eternal life. This you can be sure of. Whenever Jesus spoke, anything, everything he said, was with this one goal in mind that we may believe in Him and have eternal life. So flip that around logically now. If everything that Jesus tells us is for eternal life, what about when He doesn't tell us something? Like when He's going to return. What does that indicate? That it can't be important for our eternal life. That we don't need to know the day on which He will return in order for us to be saved. These are the things you need to know which the Bible tells us that are important for salvation. That we are saved by God's grace alone, not by our works. That Jesus achieved our salvation by His death on the cross 2,000 years ago on Calvary. That that salvation is delivered to us, communicated to us today through the means of grace, through through the gospel and word and sacrament. Those are the things you need to know for salvation. We don't need to know when Jesus will return. And even Jesus himself is ignorant of it. Isn't that kind of comforting to know that because Jesus says, I don't know, it's not important? It could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be in ten years. When he returns or when we die is not important. What's important is that we receive the salvation that Jesus offers us today. Jesus' ignorance is comforting. It's kind of a strange thought, isn't it? Both his ignorance during his time here on earth of, of the, the day when he would return, and also his ignorance now, even in his exaltation. Did you know that Jesus doesn't know some things now, even as he is reigning in heaven at his Father's right hand? Do you know what he doesn't know? He doesn't know the sins you committed yesterday or last week or last year. He says that he threw them behind his back, that he buried them in the bottom of the sea. He doesn't know where they went. He doesn't know where they landed. He forgot about them. So don't make this mistake of thinking that you know better than Jesus. Now, I know you, you may not be able to forget the sins you've committed or the sins that have been committed against you, that have hurt you, that have left scars on you. But when Jesus said on that cross, it is finished, he forgot about them. They're gone. He doesn't remember them. He is ignorant of them. 
And so can you. You can forget about them too. It's a weird thought still, isn't it? That Jesus' ignorance is comforting. But here's how to think about it. What Jesus doesn't know means your salvation. He doesn't know the day on which He will return and He hasn't related to us because it doesn't matter. What matters is what He's done for us. So, so here's what we know so far. We know that we can't know the future, right? The future is not for us to know. We know that Jesus' ignorance is comforting for us, both during His time on earth and now that He is in heaven. And we also know something else. We also know what we should be doing as we await that day. Now, it's kind of scary to think about what should we be doing before Judgment Day. Uh, There are two things you can do. When something's coming but you don't know exactly when or where or how, there are two things you could do. You could either worry or you could watch. Now, without a doubt, the unbelieving world is worried about Judgment Day. And they have to be. By their very nature, by the nature, by definition, an unbeliever has nothing they know for certain to place against the unknown of the end of the world. They do not acknowledge who they are or where they came from or where they are going, and they don't know who God is or what God has done or what God is preparing to do. They don't know any of those things, and so they are flailing around in this world with unknowns. Nothing but unknowns. They don't know anything about the future because they don't know God. And hasn't that ignorance become glaringly obvious in the past decades in our own country here? That the unbelieving world has sought to destroy all of the good things that God has instituted in our world? Think of of almost any institution You can imagine that God created, that God placed in our world for our good. And aren't they all under attack right now by the unbelieving world? Marriage is under attack. The family is under attack. Husbands and wives are under attack. The church is under attack. Law and order are under attack. Creation is under attack. Gender itself is under attack. Human life is under attack when it begins and when and who is allowed to end it. All of it is under attack. Why would that be? Why does the unbelieving world see a need, a desperate need, to destroy the good things that God has put into this world? You have to understand the irrational logic of unbelief. Unbelievers don't want to face a judgment day because they know what it will hold for them. It terrifies them. And so here's the irrational logic. That they figure, well, if we can destroy the institutions that God has put into this world, maybe indirectly we can destroy God Himself, and then we don't have to worry about Him coming again in judgment. It's utterly irrational. But what else would explain the unbelieving world wanting to destroy all the good things that God has placed into this world? And where has that gotten them? Where has destroying the definition of marriage gotten them? Where has messing with children's ideas of gender identity gotten this world? Where has destroying God's definition of marriage gotten them? Nowhere. Don't let the media fool you. The LGBTQ community is one of the saddest and most depressed and most prone to suicide in the entire world. 
Don't be fooled. Divorce is always a tragedy. It is never a good thing, something that is pleasing to God. All of these institutions that the the unbelieving world has destroyed, even turning away from the church or turning against the church, atheism doesn't lead to happiness or confidence. They're hopeless in the face of these unknowns, especially the, the unknown day of Jesus' return. But that's not you. That's not you. You know better. You know who's coming. And even more, you know what Jesus wants you to be doing now while you're waiting for him to return. He tells you. He says, it's like a man going away on a journey. When he left his home, he put his servants in charge and assigned each what each one was to do. He also commanded the doorkeeper to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch. Don't worry, not like the unbelieving world. Rather, keep watch. Now, I know many have misinterpreted or maybe overinterpreted what it means to keep watch. As if there's some secret code that we have to break. And and that's what it will mean to keep watch. I think what Jesus is saying here is simply, do what I have commissioned and called you to do. Be what you are. So what are you? Are you a male or a female? Are you a husband or a wife? Are you a parent? Are you a child? Are you an employer or employee? You know those things. Those are known facts in our lives. And Jesus is saying, so do those things. Read the instructions I've given in my word for carrying them out to the glory of God and for the good of your neighbor. But most importantly, what Jesus wants us to know is that through these means of grace that he offers here week after week, he is doing the preparing for us. He is preparing us for his return whenever he arrives. There's no need to be afraid. Keep watch. Pray. Be in the Word. Receive the sacrament and you will be prepared whenever Jesus returns. Don't worry. Instead, keep watch. There are a lot of unknowns in our life, even known unknowns, right? What should we do in the meantime while we're waiting for Jesus to return? It doesn't have to be anything complicated. Be who you are. Carry out the tasks, the vocations that the Lord has given you to do. Live. Love God, love your neighbor, work, keep watch. And most importantly, know that and trust that through these means of grace, Jesus is preparing you so that whenever He comes, you will be ready. In the end, that's all we really have to know. Amen.